three, two, one. Happy free Friday. Oh, I hope Chris Jolly freezes up today. Uh, look at his confused face right now. This is going to be so fun. It's called Karma. We've got a great episode for you guys lined up today. And I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors who made this event, this Mad Games every Friday. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't for my sponsors. Please give them mad love. Click on the links that are in all the, the postings that we do. We have Swan Leap. By the way, for those of you who are just starting up their business or you currently run a brokerage, Swan Leap offers six months of free use of their TMS, which is, they're, 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 I like their product. It's flexible, it's easy to use. They're already integrated with their shipper, with your shippers and your customers. So look them up, Swan Leap. We've got JJ Keller, which we're gonna have a special episode next Friday with JJ Keller. They're your consultants for trucking companies. So y'all out there who do trucking, if you need help with ELDs, with safety, with anything that has to do with trucking, call JJ Keller. Look them up also. You'll see the links in my stuff. And then last but never least is my favorite factoring company, OTR Capital. And just so you guys know, they do do factoring for brokers and for truckers. They treat you like family, no hidden back fees, and they'll take very good care of you. The guests that we have on today need no introduction at all. They've been on multiple times. They all have their own social media thing. In fact, they're way more popular than me. I'm surprised they even come on this show. But before we do anything, we have a very sad day today. Many very sad days. We have, like, kiss your family, you guys. Give your family a hug, your friends. If Chris Jolly was here right now, I would probably hug him. Because we had a lot of death we were dealing with today, this week. Oh. YouTube's gonna yell at me if I go any further on that one, but DMX, you guys. <laughs> DMX is dead. I grew up with DMX. I loved him. He was at every one of my house parties in, in my earbuds when I got mad at the world. Nothing's better than DMX. So welcome. Adam, Chris, don't mean to start our show off with death and sadness, um, but I did. Uh, do you guys want to talk about something a little bit better than death and sadness? Yeah, let's 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 not talk about yeah. that. <laughs> I see that Matt Fink is with us. I see that we have Justin with us, Antonio, Ron Kane is in the house, and Andrew Teal is here. What is that a new? Hat? No, I've never seen the front of that hat, Chris. I know. That's that's actually, that's my dad's first truck that he ever owned. It's a 1979 International Harvester cab over. It's wow, part wow. of the logo. Very cool. Yeah. It's part of the logo. And as my, so I'm, you know, waiting for some stuff to come through from my attorney, but I'm going to, I'm revamping the logo and everything to kind of have that be incorporated and be a part of it all. Because, so you know, trucking's in, trucking's in my blood. Trucking's in my blood. I'm not, it's not just a, it's not trendy for me. Uh, I would like to say that, um, I hope you freeze up on this, by the way. This oh. is really exciting for me. It's almost distracting because I'm so happy. Because I remember the last episode where I froze and you and Adam made fun of me for like a solid five minutes. And then it got made memes all over the internet. It really made me mad. Um, so let's start oh, with this. 
so I, uh, I forgot to preface this. So today we're going to talk about, I have Adam and Chris on the show and they're both consultants. And we were all talking about something, probably half in the bag. And I said, let's do an episode on what are the red flags when you, Adam, and you, Chris, go into your client's business and you're assessing them and you suddenly see these red flags and you're like, ooh, they got, you know, all right, all right, we got some things to work on. Not saying you're gonna fail, but if you don't clean this shit up, you might. But we got some things to work on and that happens to me a lot because I consult a lot. Uh, so I wanted to say, let's let's focus on, because I, I got a lot of messages when I put out the social media that we were gonna do this business face plant episode. Yes, I called it a face plant. Um, and I noticed that a lot of people were small to medium sized businesses. So we should probably, with our advice, we should probably stick to that realm, which I'm saying in my world with my consultants, like small to medium is usually like under 50 million in revenue um, is usually a sweet spot for that area. So let's start with Adam. Um, and uh, Adam, when you go in, what's like the first thing you're kind of thinking when someone's like, come in, assess our business, help us with this, help us with that. And you're kind of looking around and you're like, hmm, I see these, this is common. These mistakes over here are common. Well, I think beyond just coming in and saying what, what mistakes you do first, I think more so than anything, the first thing you want to you understand is their overall background, right? So you want to know if they have that entrepreneurial background, if they ever, ever ran a business before, you know, because that's super, super important. Trucking is one of the, the easiest businesses, and I hate to say it, the smallest barrier to entry to get to start a, a major trucking company, do uh, so. And the problem is, is that a lot of times I come across a little bit of, of capital, you go in to start a business, but you don't have that necessarily, you have that business background. So usually that that's that's not necessarily a red flag, but that's a sign that it's going to be a little this bit longer uh, with the, uh, the development there. Mm -hmm. The second part of it, is you want to see financial how, how well they're established financially you know what kind of what kind of financial uh, background do they have as far as capabilities and is concerned you know to to start a trucking company when i look at it especially when you first get started you're talking about you know small to medium companies and the reason why you focus on and it's good to focus on the small to medium companies because 97 percent of the country um in terms of the people that have their own trucking company have less than 10 trucks only three percent of the country have more than that so you got to think about that part part as well. And then when you go in and you start looking at things like that, you, you, you look at, hey, do they have a really good understanding of FMCSA regulations? And when you when they don't really have a really good grasp of what that means, or if they ask you what does FMCSA stand for, then you know you're in for a little wild ride and you're going to have to yeah. give them a upbringing. And then you also, I think one of the, 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 the last things, and it kind of spreads out into a bigger needle, is what type of information that they have, right? What kind of education they have in the industry is concerned. And if they tell you that for the most part, their biggest form of education in, in trucking comes from like YouTube or social media, then you know, okay, you know what? This is going to be one of the ones that we're going to have to guide through very, very slowly. Um, but uh, my biggest, biggest worry is in when you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul to get started, like you're saying, okay, yeah, you know what? I might have 15,000, but you know, I, I probably can get 16,000 and I'm just coming up with a number. But if you don't have that, that, that mindset, I think that's a, that's a troublesome. So um, I want to take a step back since we, we're going to wait for Chris to come back. He'll be back in a minute. There's always tech problems with this stuff. Uh, but since we have you, I think we should talk a little bit about leasing programs. And this is off topic a tiny bit. Uh, and, but 
Um, this is what I have seen. I could be wrong because you're the expert here, but I've often seen that someone will have some cash on hand and they'll open their trucking um, business and someone leases them a truck. And there's all these upfront costs, fees, blah, 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 but you get to lease this truck. And you sign a lease agreement and you're actually leasing on with a company da, 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 and you're gonna drive this truck. And you feel like an independent business owner. Um, but how how does that work out? What are the traps so, so that people can understand who have never leased a truck and don't understand how expensive it is? The thing that I, I and I'm gonna tell you, one of the things that I don't like is the word lease gets thrown around way too much in the industry. Absolutely. Number one. So you have what's called a full service lease, right? So if you go to a, you know, say you go to a Penske or Ryder and you, you pull up and, and you do a full service lease, that's totally different than what you'll see as a lease program from a, these other uh, places. And I won't, I won't mention names, but their programs are not leases, but they're almost like a rent to own or even almost like yeah. a here situation where they say, hey, you know what? No credit check. You know, we're going to say, hey, here's a, a 2012 with 700,000 miles, you'll put down $9,000 on it. You'll own it after three and a half years and then got a balloon payment at the end, but it doesn't include maintenance. It doesn't include any type of service. That piece. So that's number one. And then you also have your lease on programs where you might have an independent company that's wanting to lease on owner operators where you may buy your own truck, right? So you went through the whole phase of buying your own damn truck and, and, and all of that to say, okay, hey, let me go to another company so I can lease on, so they can take care of my plates, they can take care of my IFTA, they can take care of my 2290, they can take care of the finding loads for me. So that's another uh, lease. So the word lease in in all definitions in the industry is too shaky because it, it, it comes in so many different places. Now, when you go into a full service lease, a lot of times what they'll say is, okay, you know what, with a full service lease, well, guess what? I'm not going to be, I don't have to worry about maintenance. Well, I disagree with that because you're paying for it in your monthly payment. So right. I lease my trucks. I had one of my lease payments on one of my trucks was $2,900 a month plus eight cents a mile. But $2,900 a month. But, but check this part out. But that, not just that. Okay. What kind of house you could have bought? So that's about 40, <sighs> So it's almost $50,000 a year for you to drive a, a new truck and not have to worry about maintenance. But then at the end of that three years, guess what? Hey, I need those keys back. So you got to turn the keys back into that truck and just kind of oh, see that, that, that model. Sorry, down. Chris, we, you lost technology. We went down those rabbit holes. Yeah, we no, no, it's fine. fine. Yeah, that's oh, good. Like, that's good. Right. And, and, and before you continue, I want to say that Michael Caney just hit everything right on the head. He said, racket. There are trucking companies that sell the same trucks five times. Be careful, secondary yeah. market, major source of income. He's yeah. so right. He's so, so let me, right. Let me talk about what Michael said, which is a great point. So what you'll do is a, a Adam Adam's trucking company. I'm a mega carrier right now, right? So I'll buy a brand new 2022 Freightliner Crash Cascadia for like eighty thousand dollars because I'll buy a thousand of them at a time. So I buy it for eighty thousand, right? I run it up to about 300,000 miles. So, you know, I didn't generate at least $600,000 worth of revenue on this truck, right? And then I'll say, hey, Cassandra, guess what? You know what? You've been doing a great job as a driver. You know what? Here's our owner operator program. No money down, no credit check. I'm gonna put you in this lease, $900 a week. So let's just say we pay $1,000 a week for that truck. You're paying $52,000 that year. Yeah. After three years. So now you didn't put $150,000 into that truck after three years for you to own that truck. 
So you got one hundred fifty thousand on top of the fact that I made six hundred thousand dollars on that truck just based on me just buying the truck and then my company drivers running it. Now I got seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of generated revenue on this truck, not including the freight that I'm going to charge you a percentage off of once I book the loads for you. So that one truck over that time period can generate me a million dollars. And and, that, and that's not even that's that's without any understatement. And guess what? After I hand the keys over to you and say, hey, I want you to lease a truck for me. Guess who's responsible for the breakdowns? You. So yeah. that's it's 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 predatory. Right. Predatory. It's, it's, it's super predatory. And, and, and they prey off of they pay off of the fact that they give them that feeling of ownership, of entrepreneurship. But yeah, at the same time, those terms, those terms is just like it's almost like what, what crashed the housing market when they had the flexible, yeah. the flexible loans. It's the same situation. So, uh, OK, I'm going to pause there in that discussion because I actually think uh, in light of what you said and what I've seen, because I have some scary stories I'd like to share with you at some point in time. We should do an episode on this racket. Um, yeah. But I, I like the clip of it. So if anybody's watching this and they're thinking about starting up their own business, they got a good glimpse from Adam what to watch out for. So we'll do a future episode on this topic because I think it needs to be blown up. Um, yeah. Adam, I hope, you, I hope you'll help me with this. Absolutely. Um, uh, we, we legitimately need to be like, hey, this is a bullshit program. Katie just said it again. It's predatory. It should be illegal. Uh, so let's definitely do an episode on that because that, I'm just my blood's boiling now that I'm thinking about more incidents of drivers getting their shit towed. Like, oh, okay. Uh, Adam, darn it. Jolly. When I said I was happy that you froze, I didn't really want you to go away, though. Uh, so I hope you freeze mm -hmm. in an awkward position, and then I'm going to make a meme out of it. Just want you to know that right now. So where where are you, Jolly? Yeah, like that. Yeah. I I am yeah right. <laughs> I am out in Reno, Nevada, right now. We flew up here. I'm uh, with one of my clients today, doing some on-site stuff, and you know where just back in my old stomping grounds. I lived up here for you know about nine years before I moved down to Phoenix. Oh, I didn't so. know that. Um, did you, yeah. okay, you said you went live today. How did it go? I didn't get a chance to watch it. I'll watch it right after that. No, for sure. I, I went live very early this morning. Uh, and it was really just an opportunity to kind of get out and just show some live footage from a brokerage floor. Like, obviously there's only so much cool. I can show in, yeah. in that scenario, but a lot of it is just, you know, I was just doing traffic, updating loads and then doing some carrier sales aspect of it as well. Because I think like, you know, kind of like why you got started in doing content as well as me, Cassandra, is it, need, that quality content of needs to be out there and plentiful because kind of like with Adam's predatory comments on like the loans and everything else, like that, that's a thing out here where there's a lot of misinformation out there. And it's like, if I can just get back in any way. And fortunately they were cool with me streaming and, and putting it out there this morning and just trying to bring another original piece to the table. Yeah. I'll watch it right after. I'm excited about it. Um, so yeah. when you go in to consult for a client, uh, what are some of the common red flags? And I'm not saying that when you see this shit, their business is going to fail. Mm -hmm. It's just the common things that you keep seeing and you're like, hey, this is how you should do it. Where do, where do you start? Like, what's the first thing on your mind when you walk in and you're getting to know somebody's brokerage? A lot of it is what the direction that leadership wants from their organization. And, you know, because it's like, I think, as, as we all know, we've all started 
companies, when you're just starting out, it's like, I just got to add business. But you reach a point where you have to have an actual business plan in place for growth and how your next five years look. And I think like to me, it's like, you know, in brokerage especially, is it's like just adding revenue isn't a viable business plan. Like you really got to have a plan of attack to start, you know, and it's like, and I know a lot of people who get involved in freight, they're intoxicated by the fact that it's an $800 billion a year industry. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, there's a lot of different variables that kind of come along with it. And it's like, you can't just throw darts against the wall day in and day out and hope it works. You have to have an actual plan in place for how you're going to scale from where you currently are. And kind of, you know, it really, it's breaking a lot of old habits that, that way of that saying of this is the way we've always done things, you know, it, it's very rampant. Where do you start with a business plan? So like, if I'm like, okay, I, I just told you, Chris, I own this business back here and I just told these kids that are working for me, I just want revenue. Just, just give me some revenue. But you're telling me I need to be more, I need to plan more. So where do I start? What's the first like question I should ask myself uh, yeah. when planning? To me, to me, it's always about like having a niche that we operate in. Like I'm all about niche markets to start. Okay. And I don't like, you know, like you, you gotta, you gotta build up from somewhere. And I know that a lot of people out there are like, oh, I can get you pricing from anywhere. I can quote anything either, but pricing freight and actually winning it are two very different things. You know, so it's like you got to be you have to have something tangible in place to follow off of. And, and a lot of it is just getting that familiarity and that comfort on the phone. And especially like having that same conversation time and time again is very valuable, especially like I don't care how long you've been doing. Like if I started a brokerage tomorrow, if I went out there and filed freight coach enterprises, I'm going to start brokering freight. You better bet your ass I'm operating in a certain region with a certain freight type. Because I got to start somewhere. I can't be calling all across the country trying to figure out multiple different things. Like you, you have to be very strategic in, in how you're going to grow it out. Makes sense. Uh, Adam, is that the same for trucking companies when they start out? Um, or can you know, like, are you just like, hey, I'm located in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and anything in North Carolina, I'm fucking hauling. It's a little different than it's a little different with the uh, the small trucking operator because most of the when you first get started, unless you just you know just 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 uh, just fortunate to have a dedicated situation to roll up in your backyard, you're going to operate on the spot market. So you don't you're not really going to have much of a choice. Now you can choose from a niche perspective. If you want to talk about niche, you can choose about the type of equipment you want to pull. Whether you pull reefers, you know, dry vans or or, or, or flatbeds, you can choose that. I mean, that's that's one of the things that you can really kind of differentiate yourself. But I think the biggest thing too, kind of going back to really what Jolly was saying, and you mentioned revenue. Well, revenue is also different from the freight side because the expenses and the operating costs mm -hmm. of the driving company are totally different. And the biggest thing is, is that I can you can generate two hundred fifty thousand dollars in a year on one truck, and then at the end of the year come by and only bring back five thousand dollars in profit if you're doing things the right way, because your profit margin is so tight. So when you think about your expenses and your, your rate per miles, I mean, you compare that to your cost and your operating cost per mile. So for, for example, right now, the average operating cost per mile last year in 2020 was $1.66, right? But then if you look back at 2020's freight rates, and Jolly, you can, you, can, you can back me on this one. Look at dry van freight back in 2020. Dry van freight wasn't over $1.98 a mile. So if dry van freight revenue mm -hmm. was at average at $1.98 a mile, right? And then the operating cost on my truck is a dollar, almost a dollar seventy. You're only making twenty eight cents a mile. 
So you multiply that that times a hundred thousand miles that a, a truck averages on in a year, and you do the math. It's really not you're really not seeing that much. So the biggest thing is is that when you start a trucking business, it's super important. You talked about a business plan. It's super important that when you plan your businesses, you, you got to plan out your operating costs and your expenses. One of the biggest things is your, your, your truck purchases, right? That's one of your biggest costs and your insurance, that how that what that's going to look like. Once you establish all those operating costs, you can true you get a true understanding and dynamic on a balance sheet to get your break-even point. Then you can operate every single load above your break-even point uh, and and kind of and kind of forecast some profitability there. But a lot of times, you know, just be honest, a lot of times new business owners don't know what to put in that operation. Right. Line. They just don't know. Right. So they get a truck. And then you go to social media, which I absolutely hate when people throw these rate cons on social media. Hey, look what they I They totally do, Adam. They cl they snapshot it or they'd be yeah. like, yo, I just made $10,000. But oh boy, I'm like, oh boy. I Here hate we that. go. I hate that because it's so misleading to the people that want to get started to making them think yeah. how easy it is. Like, yeah, yeah. you can generate 10000 a week. But guess what? All it takes for me is to blow a one box and it's going to cost me 13000 to fix it. So, you know, what one box mean that's the part of the DPF system inside of a truck. So it's a new regulation that took place, um, you know, almost a decade ago. That's a totally different conversation because there was a lot of things that uh, that went into the tank because of that. But anyway, but that is one of those things when you talk about expenses, things in a truck is expensive. And on the top of the plan now, now that it's hard getting parts because these ports are so backed up. So now they can't even get. Mm. So are you prepared for your truck to sit? You know, it's nothing for me to get my truck to break down. It's nothing for me to pull into a, a truck mechanic. He said, yeah, we'll get to it in about two weeks. It's nothing for that to be the response. So are you prepared to operate like that? And that's the question. I want to talk about finances and the balance sheet. But before I do, Zeke, can you zoom in on Chris's face on this thing? There have been a lot of comments about your face, Chris. Um, I'm not for hire for modeling anymore. That's part of my past. <laughs> So the questions have been the different lighting, Chris. People have said you've you've gotten younger, you're you're tanned now. Oh my God, Zeke, you are so good. Buttered bread, um, which may be one of your friends. Is the lighting different, or did Chris Jolly get a tan? Chris, what is going on? Did you go to the spa before and when you got into Reno? No, I mean it was hundred degrees in Arizona last weekend, so I was outside. So maybe a little bit, you know. But it's like. A few days ago, my skin was like pink because that's how I tan as I start out pink and then I evolve into a little bit of a nice tan look to it. Well, this butter bread <laughs> just is blowing you up. I think butter bread has a, a crush on you. Um, and it's not fine. me. Anybody who's saying butter bread is not me. It's not me. I would have a badass name. Like, like, Thank uh, you, Justin. I. Justin says it looks like I've lost. Jesus, I need to I need to come up here more often. If this is, kind of, <laughs> guys, are feeling, I'm feeling good today. Feeling good. You're gonna show your woman this video, and you're gonna be like, "Look, look, we did a great job today." But look at everybody's been saying about my body. Exactly. Um. So okay, let's talk exactly. about Roger Moore has put in a couple comments that I love yeah. about keeping it on the balance sheet, whatnot. So okay, I remember, and I talk about this a lot on my show. Uh, Chris Jolly, you were with me. Um, oh, Adam Swanleap said that you're beautiful too. Thank you, Swanleap, whoever. And is. that your tan looks amazing. I added that. <laughs> so um, we talked about the cost of running a truck. Um, but Chris, in your opinion, before we get to that part, because I feel like that's going to be a 
interesting discussion that Adam's going to have to enlighten us a little bit more on. But do people <laughs> truly know the cost of running a brokerage? And and I'm going to compound this question, which is because it's so because the difference of money coming in versus money going out, the time frame's not the same. Um, does that cause confusion? If you don't know what I'm saying, I'll give you more context, but go ahead. I think that that is another issue that it, it is the true cost of what you're, what, what each shipment cost to process from when you bring on from customer acquisition to carrier acquisition to when you're closing it out. Not, I mean, I know a lot of the larger brokers out there can probably tell you, you know, just, just a simple number, yeah, it costs $78 to process every single load. And that's what a lot of, you know, that's the thing is it's like with a lot of brokers where it's like, are you really fighting for extra money here to improve your margins? Because you're really not making any extra money in these scenarios, you know, and like your break even cost is actually, you know, say $110 a load. So when you're making $200 on paper, you're actually only making, you know, $90. Right. at that point and it's like there you know like there is there is a lot of overhead when it comes down to it because it's like i know like it's not legally required but you need insurance as a broker you need to have a lot of these things in place to run your operation it's not just as simple as filing your mc and getting a surety bond and then all of a sudden you're out there making a couple of, yeah it, you you there is there has to be some structure there for it because like it's, it's never a matter of if it's a matter of when things go wrong and you know, like I, I, Cassandra, I'm sure you're uh, posed with this question a lot too. Of what does my surety bond cover in regards to stuff? And I think like <laughs> there's a there's a big misconception because your surety bond covers invoices; it doesn't cover cargo at that point. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Adam, when okay, so if I have a trucking company, and so I have one truck, I'm doing a kick-ass job. I got my friend who's going to run under my authority as another truck. We're doing kick-ass job. We're going to get, and I get this question a lot too, which is I'm going to buy a bunch more trucks. What are some of the finances you want me to know about? What's your advice to me? Because uh, I really want to build this trucking company, build it out. Because I think I've been doing okay, but it's only been a year. So when I think about scaling, number one, before you scale, you have to make sure it's okay with the insurance company first. Because there's a lot of, as a new authority, there's a lot of times where insurance companies, they get a little, they get a little sketchy when it's time to add trucks. We've had people um, before where they went in there buying trucks and the next thing you know, they get a, a notice in the mail that the insurance has decided to cancel their policy just because it's the expansive growth and they don't like to see that. So you gotta make sure that you have that part of your plan before you even get started. Um, and then the second thing, when I look at, there's a couple of components when it comes to scaling. Number one, you gotta have capacity. And when I mean by cap capacity, I don't mean shipping capacity, I mean mental and just overall operational capacity. If, if running one truck is a full-time job plus overtime plus overtime after that and you don't have the time to do it then two trucks is going to run you out of business and the reason why i say mm. this is because and i say this because it's just like the principle of diminishing returns just because you throw more at something doesn't make the problem go away and if you have loops and you have leaks in your processes then that's going to affect you so process is number two for me they have to have great processes you should have great processes in place you know, when I think about scaling, you should absolutely have a TMS system in place, right? You need to have some sort of management system so you can you can look at profitability and losses and different demand dynamics of each one of your businesses. And then the third thing is you absolutely have to show profit. You know, and I, when I say show profit, don't have a great month. And this year, and I'm going to tell you, from now back about, let's say, what, mid-August, and, and you're not going to like this, 
but this is a bad temperature check for the hell the, yeah it is i hope everybody's listening to you bad bad temperature check because this is not reality right this is not realistic yeah. for me to be able to go to chris and say hey man i'm charging you five dollars a mile on this and chris is like okay i'll give it to you it's not the reality so what scares me is that people get so aggressive with the results that we're seeing in the last six or seven months and not see the future and not plan for the future. So it kind of scares me, especially when they're running these profit margins that's only predicated upon rates and they got break evens that are like a dollar ninety-eight, $2, $2.01 a mile. Those break even points are only get you so far in this condition because it's a carrier's market. But when that slows down and you still have those same insurance payments, those same high costs, when it slows down, now you're going to be pulling the pitchforks out and going to Washington and wanting to wanting to say, hey, you know what? Brokers are stiffing us again. And that's my problem with it. This is why I love Adam Wingfield right here. Yeah, that's why we he all do. Mad truth about, about all of Do you like how he throws in all those terms? Like all those like, you know, business terms and um, my legal mind is just kind of like a diminishing <laughs> <laughs> uh, diminishing sobriety. Okay, so Adam, quick question. What is like the most difficult tipping point? Is it going from one truck to two trucks, two trucks to four trucks? Like, is there something quick you uh, like you identify with, with scaling? Most of the time it's, it's it, it depends on the financial status. It depends on, you know, the credit situation too as well. You know, sometimes getting that first truck is just about everything that you can handle, you know, in a, in a, in a typical commercial loan, uh, in a typical environment. You can pay up to 40% down on that vehicle. And, you know, you're talking about a vehicle at 50 grand, you know, coming out of $20,000 on a down payment might be, a, might be a stretch for people. So until that they build that, not only if you're able to build your credit profile on the business side or you're able to build that capital, it's going to cost you a lot of money out, out, outright in order to get that next truck. So that first truck sometimes is the biggest strain. And then that second truck, I've already strained my finances on the first truck. Right. And if I'm in this condition now, and there's a lot of companies out there that I worry about that make it seem like it's so easy. Scaling is not easy. There, there's got to be, you know, you have to have some skin in the game. But I think that the biggest tip, and once you mm -hmm. get over trucks and you become a fleet, it becomes a lot easier to be recognized by a finance company that you do have that. You're showing good balance statements. You're showing the banks, you know, you can handle it. That's one thing. But in that beginning, it's, it's very difficult. Adam, do you think it's easier to scale a fleet when you're buying the same equipment, say, 10 times? I think so. Point? I think so. And, I think, and, this, and, and I'm glad you said that. That's a good point because you know your equipment, right? And, you know, you've got a really good grasp on equipment. And then also from a maintenance perspective, you have a complete understanding on what to look for and what to expect, especially if you get your equipment in the same lot. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The only thing about that is, is that with used trucks, and if you're going with used trucks, with used trucks, I can buy 100 of the same truck. It can have the same crack in the windshield, the same miles. And 95 of those trucks will be just perfect. And those five of them will be just straight dumps. And I'm usually the, the ratio is a little yeah. bit a bit higher to the dump side than the, than the perfect side. Because when it gets into used truck marketplace, and I'm glad you said that too, is because used trucks in a certain that certain mileage dynamic, man, it's tough. It's tough because mm -hmm. of, especially if you gotta if you gotta put the maintenance on it. It's super tough. Capital is king. You have to have that capital in place. And it's really, really, really smart to do so. And what I and, and one of the things I don't agree with this marketplace right now is the cost of used trucks. I was able to spec uh. at 40,000 with the same miles that they're specking that truck at 75,000 now. So, you know, when that supply and demand shakes, 
it's shaking a tree all over the place. Jesus. Kind of questions. Um, I know. Uh, by the way, before you scale, um, Adam, should I have a target profit number? Before you scale, um, you absolutely need to have a target profit percentage. And every single that you run, you need to go back and you need to look at whether or not you're beating your percentage on your loads. And that needs to be on a consistent basis. It needs to be at least okay. on a where I can look back. And if my target, if I'm running a target run rate of 21%, right? That's 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 just coming out of my mind. I want a 21% target run rate. That means 21% of uh, over my breakable point, I'm operating every single load that I pull out on average. You have to have a target percentage place. If you're under a double digit, uh, double digits in profit, like if you're running like an eight or a seven, don't do it. You're wasting your time. You're gonna mess around and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna fall flat on your face. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. You need to make sure that you need to focus on reducing your expenses at that point to push yourself into that comfort zone. Because if you don't, our industry has a has an eight out of ten fa uh, failure rate. Right? You're gonna be one of the eight. And I'm just gonna be mm -hmm. honest. Most of the time, a lot of people. They try to operate with such thin margins as it is, and they want to right. put pressure on a broker. They want to put pressure on dispatchers. They want to put pressure on the drivers because they're not able to manage their, their expenses accordingly. Chris, how is scalability with uh, in the logistics industry? So um, if I'm a broker and I'm like, I see the revenue coming in, so I'm like, buy some more salespeople. Let me hire some more salespeople. I'm just going to grow, grow, grow. But I'm not, I'm like a trucking company. I'm, I don't have as much of the overhead. So I feel like I can scale quicker. Uh, what are the watch outs? What are, what's the tips and tricks of scaling? And maybe with some of the, one of the red flags with scaling too. I think a lot of the added revenue and margins that a lot of brokers want are already inside of their four walls. It's just lost in time, lost through operational inefficiencies. I think that, you know, falling back on the, this is the way we've always done things. Although comfort costs a lot of money. And, you know, my biggest, my biggest red flag is the customers, or excuse me, the carriers that we're using one time, that we're setting up one time and then they fall off. And then we got to recover it and we're setting them up one time. And depending on the model you're working in, you might have four people trying to recover one shipment at that point. And then now lost opportunities are coming through from our current customers because we're not actively working it. And then our freight for tomorrow, that's on the board. Um, we're spending more money to cover it same day than we would be if we would find the truck who's available today that actually wants to run the load. So there's a lot of those right there based on the fact that, you know, and I get it, like this isn't, this isn't easy to, to implement all of these, you know, these strategies inside of a brokerage because you know, unfortunately, that like the biggest thing to me, stop being reactive. You need to be proactive in your approach. You need to eventually rip the Band-Aid off and make those tough decisions, cover these shipments, and then, and then focus on long term here. You got to focus on that because like this shouldn't be groundbreaking information, but our customer partners and our carrier partners want the exact same thing. They want consistency. All right. Every single one of the trucks that Adam works with, they don't make any money if they're sitting idle. Okay, so it's like, and then our job as a broker, keep them off of the load boards. You know, like there's that, like, I go back and forth on this whole capacity crunch. Is there a driver shortage? How does this really look? Because I, th I think there's a spot market capacity crunch. I think there's a spot market driver shortage because there's no major publications out there right now of any shippers who have a two week backlog on their door, on their docks right now, because there's no trucks to come pick it up. 
it's out there right now, but it's like, as a broker, my whole thing is, it's like, yes, I know rates are high right now, but my customer is going to give me more business. If I have trucks showing up for them, you can't take loads, fail on them and give them back and then expect to grow with them. You know, so that, and that's a lot of it is that running gun approach, although might seem all right in a volatile market, but I bet every single one of you out there right now, customers have a running list of brokers on how they're operating right now. Are they taking freight? Are they charging me a premium? Are they giving that freight back when they can't cover the shipments? You know, like to me, it's a, it's a simple, it's a simple concept in this regard where, yes, I understand we're paying our carriers, you know, and they're technically our, like they should be our customer, but that's, that's, that's BS. We got to treat them the way that we would treat our customers because they're still providing the service. They're our first point of contact at a lot of our facilities. Do we really want an irate driver walking in to a brand new customer and cursing somebody out because you treated them like garbage? I don't think so. It sounds like in comparison to, um, to the things that Adam just explained is from a logistics perspective, you're dealing with a lot of soft costs, um, which can Tons. be really hard to like, you can, you can understand your overhead um, yeah. and how much you're paying people and, and how much they cost you, but then how much are they costing you on everything that they're doing as well? Uh, you can't quantify it. It doesn't show up on the balance tough, sheet. right? You know? Yeah. And that's the hard part. And that's my whole thing with the, the cost of one-off carriers. When I ask, when I'm yes. like, when I'm prospecting with my clients and I ask them, what percentage of carriers do you use one time? And they can't answer that. That's a, that's a red flag to me, you know? And it's yeah. like, and like I said, I get it. Not like this is a, it, it's not easy just to find a bunch of carriers that fall into your network, but they exist. I will argue until I'm blue in the face with anybody out there that there is a carrier who consistently runs the most obscure lane in America right now. I will like, I, I've, I've done it. So I know like, again, this isn't theory for me. Like I live the life and it's like, it, it's just like, I, I, but I think a lot of it, you know, like, and I understand everybody's compensated differently. Bonus structures are compensated differently across the industry. And I'm all about making money. I think every single person who's watching this right now and the three of us, we're all about making money. But, and I know Adam and I have talked about this before. I want to make money 12 months out of the year. I don't want to make money today. I want to consistently make money. So uh, Adam, when, when y'all in your trucking world, again, are all bitching about brokers and customers, you know, you're like, fuck those brokers, assholes. And then they're like, Adam, you're always on the show with this broker, follow up on you're like, fuck them too. This is how I was imagining. This whole scenario is imagining out in my head. I just want you to know that. DMX is in the background. Y'all gonna make me lose my mind. <laughs> okay, okay, anyhow. The question is, is, is do, you, do you consistently talk about the opposite of what Chris said, which is in the logistics industry, I hear this a lot, which is using carriers one and done, we call them. Uh -huh. um, I say we in a loose sense, because I'm a lawyer. But... You know, all the soft costs, all the time and method and, and, and time and man, that power that you've wasted looking for this one carrier and then you never use them again. Do you guys talk about that in the trucking world too? Like, hey, you know, use this broker once, use this, carrier, this shipper once and never again. You need a consistent stream, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's technical, educated terms, blah, 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 blah. Just, you know. No, nah, no, nah, absolutely. With diminishing return. It's, 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 it's a two-part answer. Part of that is reputation. So one of the things that you can you absolutely should be doing when you're building a trucking company and as you build your business is building out your reputation. Because a lot of people don't, 
I don't understand why the thought process is the way, but a lot of people that get into this, this trucking industry and start their own companies don't realize, hey, that's your name that's on the side of the door. You need to have a reputation there and establishing that. And one of the things that Chris hit on that was so important to me was the one and done scenario. Well, a lot mm -hmm. of times that one and done scenario is pushed by a carrier that's on the brink. And let me tell you how that usually happens. A carrier's got an operating cost of you know, 201 a mile. They got an insurance cancellation right around around the door. They book right. a little interest that's getting they're getting paid two dollars and ten cents a mile. And then all of a sudden they sign the rate con, they agree, they start pushing their driver to the pickup, then they go back to the low board and he's like, Oh, well, Cassandra's got one on there for two thirty a mile. Hey, you know what, Chris? My driver just got sick. Sorry, my shipment would be better than Chris's. Just you so, know. but that, but those are those those are those points from a reputation standpoint that I can't stand. And we talk about that all the time. Yeah. Like, if you're going to agree to take a shitty load, then take it because that's the reputation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if it's same with brokers, same with brokers. When you know, and this was the thing is I caught myself in this scenario too. I booked that load for fifteen hundred bucks, and then the next like, and then my coworkers on the phone, they're like. I got this one for 1400 should we take it? It's like, no, we are like, we've already committed. Like I can't, I, I'm not saying I always did it that way, but that's like, you can't do that stuff. Like you're talking about right there, Adam, because it's like now all of a sudden you're, you're blacklisted from this broker who has the freight that you wanted time and time again. And then same thing with this kid, like from a, uh, from a carrier's perspective. Now they're like, I'm never calling that asshole ever again. Cause they mm -hmm. pull that freight for me. And it's a constant battle at that point. And nobody wins. Literally nobody wins in that. The customer loses, the brokers lose, and the carriers lose in those scenarios. But it's not out there. That education is not there. You know, and all, all you see is rate cons that, that pay two thousand dollars that I'm gonna throw here on Facebook or Instagram. There's so much that, that goes behind that. And you know, my, my, my problem is is that you know, a lot of times it's it's treated like a like like a hustle game and it's not treated like a, a long game. You know, we're yeah. working right. We're, we're not treating it like long game. Like this industry is not a long game industry on the small side. There's no there's no forethought and there's no long term perspective. And, you know, when you think about operational costs and costs, a lot of people don't understand that those costs are broken down per load. Like every single every single line item on your expense sheet that's associated with your truck. Right. Is 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 is, is taken care of by every single load that you you haul. It's all prorated, you know, and there's so many other different dynamics that's involved into it. So when I think about ex that that exact thing, like the reputation to me is so critical in this business that more than anything else is 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 to me it's more important than 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 sometimes than just 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 worrying about making a dollar. Can yeah. I pretend I'm a small carrier for a moment and I say to you, Adam, like there's so many fucking carriers out there. Does reputation really matter? Like, it does. does it really? Like, are yeah. they truly going to remember me and yes, be loyal to me? Absolutely. I can tell you what, you know what, it, it, it's, it's one interaction at a time, one, one broker conversation, telephone conversation at a time, one impact at a time, one great interaction at a shipper at a time. You're not going to be able to change the world off of it. But the thing is, is that those great reputations will stand out eventually. Your carrier for mm -hmm. one will reflect that. And a lot of times- I carry for one. I hate them. A lot of times in that, in that scoring system, <laughs> All it takes is one bad situation. Now you got one bad situation that, you know, that, that'll, you know, that'll, that'll blacklist you from a lot of different other broker opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing right now, like uh, I was helping out with earlier today was a scenario kind of like that, where there's carriers now that are taking it, they're photocopying 
BOLs that are, you know, they're mm-hmm. newer, they're photocopying BOLs and now they're billing, they're accepting votes from brokers getting the rate cons and they're pairing them up and they're invoicing brokers lying through the process of, oh, we picked it up, we delivered it, we dropped it, yep. we dropped the trailer. That's a massive problem right now. And it is those identification pieces of it. And I know that there was a comment earlier that kind of came across on the screen of the reincarnation problem that's going on where it's like, they'll do that. And they're like some of these practices where they'll, they'll be 17 different MCs associated to one apartment complex located in Chicago, you know, and there's, and there's a lot of those things out there. So it's like, and you know, and I, I've seen some of the other comments pop up right now, like, you know, relationships are hard to, to come across in this industry, but utilize the tools that are out there right now. You guys, I give it up. Like if there's a truck that has one registered mile that has 18 power units from last year and no safety violations at all, why are we booking them? Like, I don't get it. Move on. Like that, that's, that's yeah. like the biggest red flag out there. Yeah. And it's, it's but to that point, I will say something. There's an administrative issue with that. And that comes back to the small carrier not understanding how to update that MCS 150 to properly reflect their mileage. And a lot of times they just do things to just at the bare evens. They just do the bike. Sure, you have to update the mileage, Adam, but there should at least be some data. There should be some roadside yeah. inspections. There should be some violations. Yeah, I agree with that. units in right. probably two yeah. or three years. There's no, but to me that to me that that's that's just like you said. It's a red flag because that's not accurate information. You're not right. You, you know you're what? Not, now that I think about it, they could be lying about the number of trucks about the number like, power on the MC. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. Good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there's just, there's so many of these scenarios that kind of continuously pop up and I know Adam, you know, he's really pushing hard to educate that, uh, you know, that side of the industry to kind of, to change this, but it's like, there's a lot of like, you know, and to kind of come back down to the relationship pieces and the trust and everything that's out there is there's a lot of fundamental issues that from a government level, from a policy level that allows this to continuously happen. Like I'm I'm sure that if you had some members of the effort, like, I'm sure people would probably be shocked if they looked up the headcount at the FMCSA and saw that there was four employees total monitoring 800,000 MCs, <laughs> you know, because that's probably what it is. It's a lot like a lot yeah. of this happens because they're overworked and a lot of this stuff is, you know, it's, it's so there's a lot of fundamental issues that kind of stem from this that are really a lot of out of all of our control who are on there. And yeah. it's just, it's honestly, as uh, you know, they got to chalk it up to the game at that point. It's just going to be yeah, part of the industry. Yeah, chalk it up to the game. Uh, we have 15 minutes left. I want to talk about finances. So what are some of the things that, no, you're perfect. It's perfect segue. Uh, what, no, no, actually you should be sorry. You're an asshole. Um, shame on you. I don't know why I come back, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So, uh, finances, Chris or Adam. Whoever wants to go first, what are some stupid shit people spend money on that you're like, you don't need that? Newer equipment, like brand new equipment, like brand spanking new equipment. Um, and then, and, and you know, let me let me let me be careful. But you said maintenance and repairs were hard, so I bought the brand new equipment. Yeah, but you think about that though. You know, the thing is, is that you know everything is about lowering your overall operating expenses. So going out there and you upfitting your truck with you know the everything that you possibly can under the sun, um, that's that's one of the the, the the biggest things is the controllable expense that you come out with that unit that truck that you have, you know that's the thing that's entitled to making you money. And if you're pulling off the lot and you have to pay yourself back one hundred and fifty, one hundred sixty thousand dollars because mm. you're not 
on that, then that's usually one of the biggest, it's one of the biggest kind of hurdling blocks because again, this market that we're in right now for everybody that's on this call on April the 9th is not a normal market. We're not operating normally. Wait, so $5 a mile? So I'll, I'll say this, I was quoted $3,300 on a 400 mile run that I was trying to cover. 3300 bucks on 400 miles. Wow. I, mean, I need to get a truck. Yeah, the thing that bothers me about that, I get it. I was, I was on the truck side. Yeah. So I, I own trucks. I was on the truck side. That would be great. But if your operating co- your operating cost doesn't predicate your reason to have to 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 to, to man that much that on, on that lane. And you know right. what? And there's gonna be people that hate me on this, but they'll ask for that thirty three hundred on four hundred miles coming out of South Florida. So they don't understand the dynamics of supply and demand and where those lanes are positioned and what that capacity in that lane causes. So again, it comes down to education. I'm all for it, right? I'm all for getting paid and compensated for the work that you do, yeah. what it takes you to do the work and for what it takes in order to do that. I get all of that. But at the same time, you need to be realistic and you need to understand the freight market better. Hmm. Um, the comments, you guys, are just really great. I'm like reading these comments while I'm, I am listening to you guys. The comments are, are you? Me today. No, I am. Uh, I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay. I'm listening. But um, <laughs> so, uh, Adam. A truck is too old. How do you know? How do you know? Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, listen, my grandpa got a truck in the backyard. In <laughs> fact, it's similar to the one that on Chris Jolly's hat, and I could just run some loads with it. And Adam's like, mm. I'll say this. I'll say this. You know, you can put, you know, and I remember my uncle always told me, you can take any, and this is back in the old days, you can take any engine out of any truck and make it run. Things have changed now where they got proprietary engines like your Packards and things like that, where it's very specific to the truck. But it's not the truck, it's the engine. Your engine is the truck, right? So, you know, if you got a, you know, if you got a, you know, a 78 cab over like on, on Jolly's hat, but you drop a brand new engine in it, brand new rear and brand new transmission in it, the difference between that and, 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 a, and a truck that's got 600,000 miles. The problem is, is that when a truck is right at that 800,000 mile point, that's when it means it's, 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 it's dangerously teeter-tottering and it's time for an overhaul. Overhaul costs you anywhere between twelve dollars to $18,000. So when you think about that, if you buy a truck at 700,000 miles or 680,000 miles, or if you get a truck at that, you're only giving yourself a little bit of time before you're going to have to end up going mm. into a little bit differently. So when I think about the age of the truck, you know, I, I really, really try to try to steer less than five to seven years. Keep it in that five to seven year window. There is a model year that I want everybody to stay away from 2012 and 2013. Please stay away from those trucks at all possible. Those years suck too, man. It is. And you know, the crazy thing about that is you can go on truck in trader general. Right now, right? You go on truck trader right now and you'll get a 2014 Cascadia for like 40,000. They'll say it have the same specs on a 2013 Cascadia. It'll probably cost you 20,000 because of the issues with the DPF systems and the issues with the models that at that particular standpoint. That was just like back then when, you know, when new technology comes out, you don't buy it when it first comes out. You give it some time to get some 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 steam behind it and, and, and get better about it. But the problem is, is that those things, they, they they show up and, oh, man, that's a great deal. Let me buy this 2012 International Pro Star with a, a Max Force engine in it because it looks pretty cheap. But at, the, at, at that point, you're setting yourself up for disaster. So when I think about when a truck is too old, please, if you're just going to start this and you want to be successful, Stay within five to seven seven years. I don't even like to say seven years. Five years is usually a sweet spot. Um, uh, Chris Jolly. So I just had mm-hmm. this imagine. I imagine this whole scenario where Adam is at Thanksgiving dinner with all his family, 
there's like 50 people there. It's like tons of great food. And he's getting this big plate. And he asks Uncle Henry across the, you know, way, across the table. So how things been treating you lately? How's everything? Da, da, da. And everybody's being pleasant, right? And then Uncle Henry's like, yeah, I just bought, I'm in your industry now, Adam. I just bought a 2012 truck, bleh, bleh, bleh. And Adam sits back and he's like. <laughs> and then he just goes, right? He goes I can see that. Rant. He just went on. And then everybody at the table's like, who's the, who's the trucking genius? And where's his book? And like, I just imagine <laughs> this whole thing. <laughs> and Adam, you're not going to be invited back to Thanksgiving again. Because Uncle Henry was no. everybody's favorite. So I just want you to know that. So, no, but really, Adam, it's crazy this shit that comes out of your head about trucking. Sometimes we all just sit here and we're like, oh my God. I know. I'm in, I'm, I marvel at it. It's, it's, you know, but that's the thing. Like, that's why, that's why he's such a great resource for everybody out there is he's passionate about this shit. He wants to see this stuff change for the better. He's not just out here advocating for, you know, screw the brokers, drivers only. Like, no, no, no. He wants the industry to improve as a whole. Yeah. yeah. On other shows, he so evident. broker, pack lawyers, and shippers. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard the other shows. No, I think it's uh, just Chris, fuck Chris, lawyers. What? <laughs> <laughs> what are the, what's the stupid shit brokers spend money on that you are a little, you're a little like, oh, you don't quite need that. And what are some things that they need to spend money on that you're like, so, oh, look at your Excel spreadsheet. Ironically, it's both technology because I think that they, they overspend on some things because at the end of the day, like I'm a big, I'm a massive proponent of technology. I, I, you need it to streamline a lot of your processes, but do you really need a $50,000 lead generation software? Because is that really going to pick up the phone and dial for you to help out mm. in those regards? Mm. You know, because it's, I mean, I just think that at the end of the day, like you got to look at it from kind of like, what's your ROI, you know? Cause just like, it's just like on the trucking side, like buying a, putting a $40,000 Chrome job into your truck, although it might look cool, doesn't make you any more money, you know? And I, like, I want to take pride in my equipment and pride in my business and everything else as well, but there's a time and a place for a lot of that stuff. So I think it's like, you know, you can get by with certain things and you can make your money and then you can pay it. But I think like, just like with any business, like, from a financing piece, are you financing all this stuff? How is this working? How is this negatively affecting your balance sheet? Is it really worth it? Or, and then furthermore, is my team using it as much as they should? Because, right. at, you know, like one. that that's a really big one too, because just because it gives you direct access to the decision maker doesn't mean your team's picking up the phone and utilizing it. It doesn't mean, right. you know, are they... Are they just calling it one time and be like, oh, they don't have any freight. They didn't answer my one call this time. So I'm on to the next one. So, you know, and, and I think like it's also on the flip side, though, you need to invest in technology as a broker. You need to streamline your processes as well, but you have to do it efficiently. You have to partner up with the right providers who aren't nickel and diming you for every single API integration that yeah. happens. And then you want to cut the contract and it costs you a fortune and they keep you data. That's that's exactly it, you know. So it's like, and it's really doing a lot, uh, doing a lot more research, you know, and doing your due diligence on it. Just because it's a legacy company that's been around for fifty years doesn't mean they're best for your operation. Do you see any brokers spending too much money on people? 
I don't know how everybody compensates their brokers, so I can't accurately answer that question. But I do think that I was wondering. I'm like, do you really need another salesperson, or can the ones you have be more efficient? And we can. I don't know. I'm speaking at the top of my head. Like I don't yeah, really know. I think, I think that's a culture thing at that point because, like, if you have an like, there's a big difference between account managers and sales reps. You know, and there's there's a lot of people out there who are phenomenal account managers, but they're not sales reps, but they're classified as a sales rep. So then they think like just adding somebody and adding another body. Um, yes, Andrew Teal, too much money on consultants. Um, <laughs> yeah, damn it. Um, but no, but I think that you know, it, adding people doesn't add revenue. You know, at the end of the day, just because like if you want to grow. Hiring more people might not be the best option. It's back to the whole operational inefficiencies. Can you get more out of who you currently have employed by you? And are you out there God, running the theme in? of COVID 2020. Get more mm. out of our people and don't Exactly. Care. Okay, go ahead. Okay. No, no, you said it. I, I'm, I'm good now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, okay. So, so uh, just one more question from both, actually, for both of you with regards to software, which is, um, Chris, what is your advice with, uh, how much money should I be spending on a TMS? Um, a, hey a man, TMS. if I'm super small, should I even spend money on a TMS? 1000% you need a TMS. TMS needs to be viewed as an investment. Okay. It's, it's, if you're out, like, if you're thinking about starting a brokerage and you just want to do you essentially, looking to be like an independent agent at that point because it's a lot more expensive than people think if you're only looking to, to scale up you know Don't say not compete. yeah yeah exactly but you know it's like at that point if you're only looking to do like fifteen thousand dollars a month and just do your own thing i think being an independent agent would be your best bet than starting a brokerage from pole but if you are going out there and you want to scale and you want to be a top 10 broker in the future you have to look at it as an investment and you have to look at how is this TMS partner of mine going to look in five years from now as opposed to today's current capabilities. Because you don't want to have to re-implement a brand new process every three years when you go from five to 15 to 25 to 40. I noticed that Brian um, Campisti just joined and I just listened to a really cool Clubhouse conversation uh, he had where he talked. Wait, I think it was him. He's going to laugh if it's not the one he talked about. Because I like, I'm on Clubhouse all the time now. Thanks to Adam. Uh. <laughs> you guys see how he laughs at me? You see how he treats me? He no, won't come on. He won't be associated with me. But uh. he's some big rock star on Clubhouse. But I was listening and Brian was talking about um, uh, soft costs quite a bit. And it was, it, it was very interesting with chassis and who you do um, use for chassis. And anyhow, he was just talking about soft costs and technology. But Adam, little side chant because I saw him and I got excited. But Adam, uh, fleet management software, when do I need it right away? When uh, so the thing about TMS for the carrier side, it's a lot less inexpensive. So you're not looking at that TMS software out there. Even there's some providers that if you factor with certain factoring companies, they provide you with the TMS software for free. Because the, the, and, and, I, and, I, and I appreciate factoring companies that do that. Because what it does, it 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 puts the the own operator or the fleet owner back to the business perspective and put them in okay. that matter. And then when you think about some of these TMS systems have great fleet management already built within them, 
there's a couple out there that I really, really like that really, really kind of encapsulates it all. And I, I, I wish we were in like a 2021 environment where like brokers and carriers can communicate directly through a mess system and all of them kind of talk together. But we're on yeah. 1992 right now. So we still got I know. to go because we still have, have you ever used Instacart? I have you used can, it. Yeah. You can literally, they're shopping for your goods on Instacart. Like, uh, like, let's say you want them to go to the grocery store for you and they go and they're shopping for your goods. You already filled everything out that you want. And they'll tell you, they'll be like, hey, uh, Cassandra, these organic bananas that you wanted are not available, but the chemical filled ones are. Um, are you okay with that? And I will respond to the shopper. Yeah, and I'm like, I, I smoke and drink all the time. I like my past history of drugs. No, I'm are you? Chemical bananas are fine. <laughs> so, but you can see it right in there, Adam. So I see what you mean. Like we've got all this technology, but okay. So what are some of those companies, if you don't mind sharing? So So you got you've got Truck Logics, you've got Pro Transport, um, Tailwinds, all relatively inexpensive uh, um, PMS systems that they're simple. They're they go simple to a little bit more complex depending on the uh, the features and the things that are associated with it. You can get a CMS software fund under hundred bucks a month. Um, and you think about that as, as a cost, that's, that's, that's nothing, you know, you're talking, yeah. about, you're talking about 25 bucks a week, the cost of a, of a Starbucks latte at some point, but those type of things can give you at least that organizational back office. You know, when you, if you was to run a restaurant business or any other kind of business, you're going to have a back office. Well, why not a small trucking company when you represent 97% of the country? Makes sense. Um, to both of you. Uh, well, first of all, I have one vent I would like to say, which is Andrew Teal, um, who, I, as you know, Chris, I try to come, get him to come on the show. I want him mm -hmm. to be my friend. Um, mm -hmm. but he, he ignores me and treats me like shit. Well, when he said that thing about consultants, he quickly added that he, you guys were friends. And he's just kidding. Added this oh. thing. I just want you to know that. He's never done Thank that you. on my show. Never to well, me. for me, for me, for me, Chris Charles. I, I can only speak for myself, but I love you too. <clears throat> you guys, I always love having both of you on. It's one of my favorite episodes. I think everybody in the comments go nuts. Um, thank you to both of you. I hope you have yeah. a really great weekend. I hope you listen to tons of DMX. Um, mm -hmm. And and mm -hmm. and that's it. Um, and I will. And thank you to everybody who has been in the comments besides yeah. the who's been mean to me and thank you for our sponsors. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend, everybody.